Well, good morning. It's good to be with you today. For those that don't know me, my name is uh, Scott Whalen. I serve as the Assistant District Superintendent for the Chicago Central District, and it's my privilege to, um, to bring the word to you this morning and over these next few weeks. Um, we're entering into a, a new chapter in the life of K-1. Last week, we had the opportunity to celebrate the ministry of Pastor Andrew and the incredible accomplishment of the walk for wellness, uh, walking a thousand miles. I don't know that I've walked a thousand miles in my life, like cumulatively. And uh, walking a thousand miles, raising uh, nearly $115,000 toward debt reduction, incredible stuff. Uh, celebrating Pastor Phil, uh, who's been with us for about six months uh, since Pastor Andrew went on medical leave and bringing messages, uh, listening to the, to the Holy Spirit, investing in the church, uh, preaching wonderful messages of holiness. Uh, we're thankful for everything that, uh, that he did. And so today we begin our transition. We start to look at what God has for us next. It's a goal of the staff and the lay leadership council to keep the congregation informed along the way. They're great people to go to if you have questions uh, during this interim time. And one of the things we want to make sure we keep everyone on the same page with is, uh, is our speaking calendar over these next five months. We actually uh, have laid out who's going to be speaking on, on which Sundays. And so uh, I got to admit, I like my slot. I like where I've fallen here. I get the first four weeks. And then, uh, and then you get Dr. McCain, and then Dr. Graves, our general superintendent, and uh, then we've got a couple other great pastors that are going to do kind of like a pulpit swap where they're going to come in and preach to us here. And then after that, Dr. John Bowling's coming. I'd hate to be the guy that has to follow John Bowling. <laughs> but you're going to do great, buddy. <laughs> really happy for you and then of course we close out with the man the myth the legend <laughs> Reverend Jack McCormick uh, so we've got a great uh, yeah you get applause man and I don't think that was sympathy applause I think that was real uh, so we've got wonderful speakers uh, and me lined up to come and share with you over these next five months so we move into this season of search not only for a pastor, but also for us to be able to do some inward search. We're near the beginning of the Lenten season, which is a time of surrender. It's a time of sacrifice. It's a time of renewal. Some use this as a time to give something up, that maybe you let go of a, a physical thing or an attitude or a behavior for the 40 weekdays between Ash Wednesday and Easter with a desire to realign, refocus, draw closer to God, Remember the sacrifice that he's made for you on the cross and the resurrection that we'll celebrate on Easter that brings us new life. Uh, we do have to remember that the decisions that we make affect other people. Uh, I saw this on Facebook this week. Cho choose your sacrifices carefully, okay? Uh, but it's a good season for reflection. So what do we do during this time? Is it just about waiting? How can we stay active? How can we stay moving forward? Over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about five interim church behaviors that everyone in the church should develop, model, and participate in. And I'm going to give them to you. All right? Pencils ready. Here we go. First one, 
prayer. Everyone should be praying. Uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit today. We should be praying privately for ourselves. We should be praying for those we love. We should be praying for those we don't love. We should be praying for the church as a whole. Uh, we should be praying together corporately. And whether that's on Sunday mornings, we've got a group that comes in at 8.30 on Sunday mornings, Wednesday nights during our prayer service, in small groups, we come together to unify our hearts and cry out to God together. Second, everyone should be growing. Everyone should be growing. Because we're in a season of waiting doesn't mean we're in a season of inactivity. Every moment we have is an opportunity to grow closer to, to each other and also to go, grow closer to God. We need to make the most of these moments and find the things that God may want to do in our lives. Everyone should be serving. Uh, this isn't the time to pull back. This is the time to go full out. Uh, if, if I have uh, anybody else in this room that's gotten sucked into the Netflix docuseries Cheer, you will know that a full out is really important because there comes a time where you've got to give everything you have. It's giving your 100% absolute best effort. And so you can't expect somebody else to do the work for you. You can't assume that the staff is going to take care of everything, although they're awesome and they're doing a great job. Ask for places where you can help out. Look for the places where you can find opportunities to serve. Don't wait for someone to come to you. Uh, just like it's better to give than to receive, uh, it's better to volunteer than to be voluntold, okay? So make sure you're taking the opportunities you have to volunteer and, and be that person that takes the first step as opposed to somebody having to come to ask you if you'd be willing to do something. Everyone should be giving. That's our fourth one. Everyone should be giving. In the same way we go full out in our serving, we do so with our giving. This is not the time to pull back. We give because he gave. So continue to give and support the work and ministries of the church. And finally, everyone should be inviting. Everyone should be inviting. The next few weeks may be a little dodgy, but you should never feel like you can't invite someone to come to church during this interim time. Good things are happening. This is an incredibly loving church. This is an incredibly kind church. We have the opportunity to be the loving presence of Jesus each and every week. It'll be such an encouragement to your next pastor to know that during these interim weeks, the church prayed the prayers of the church increased, that the church grew closer to God and to each other, that serving and giving went up, and that there were more first-time guests coming through the doors than ever before. That's going to be an encouragement. So let's recap. Five interim church behaviors, five things we should all be doing. Pray, grow, serve, give, invite. All right? Same with me. Pray, grow, serve, give, invite. And I'm going to assume you are as excited about those things as I am right now, right? Even though it didn't sound like it. But that's okay. That's all right. Uh, so today we're going to talk about that first one. Maintaining a spirit of prayer and trusting in our God who provides. As I thought about this first message, there was one scripture that really kept coming to mind. It's a scripture that gives direction for all five of these areas, but reminds us that everything starts with humility. And it starts with a pursuit of God's heart, and it's Matthew 6, 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Seeking him. Longing for him. What does that mean for us? So let's pray, and then we're going to look at that passage of scripture. Father, we thank you for this day that you have given to us. This is a day that you have made. 
we rejoice. We're glad in it. We pray that over these next few minutes, you would speak to our hearts, that there would be ways that, um, that we would be able to acknowledge how we could be a little bit more like you, so that when we leave this place today, we can take your light into a dark world that needs to hear your hope. So help us today. In your name we pray. Amen. Do you ever have a verse that, that comes to mind that you, that you really just love? Um, it, it looks great like on a coffee cup or maybe like a refrigerator magnet. Um, but then when you, when you pull it out and you put it in its proper context, maybe it loses a little bit of what you wanted it to say. Like, maybe that's not exactly what the scripture was trying to get across. This verse is kind of like that. A little bit sneaky. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. That makes you feel good, right? Because our mind goes to, well, I know what all these things are. Uh, I, want to, uh, I want to get a new job. So as long as I seek after God, he's going to give me what I want. Uh, I, I want that vacation. If I, if I do what God asked me to do, then that's going to work out. There's something rocking back there. That's all right. That's good. Um, maybe for you, the thing you want is just to not get the coronavirus, you know? Like, that's, uh, yeah, yeah, somebody got blessed. Uh, so, and that's okay. Um, you know, I, I, I am excited to talk to you about our new way of doing communion today, in which uh, we're just going to have one loaf of bread. Everybody's going to tear off a piece of that bread with their hand, and you're actually going to go and put it in somebody else's mouth. My wife can vouch for this. We did that in a church once. Uh, that's what happens when non-creative people try to do creative things. <laughs> that's how that goes. Uh, bad idea. A lot of people got sick that week. Uh, we have to back up a little bit in this passage to get a full picture of what Jesus is saying here. So let's look at Matthew chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 25 through 34. Matthew 6. 25 through 34. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying at a single hour, to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom, and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So this shifts the context for us. We realize that it's not about us getting whatever we want. It's sharing that when we get our eyes off of God, that we might start to see the concerns of the world as bigger 
than the God who created the world. And he doesn't want us to do that. He wants us to seek him and his righteousness. So let's walk through this passage together. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or drink or about your body, what you'll wear, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes. Is this as simple as it sounds for you? Don't worry. Jesus said don't worry. So just don't worry. I don't know about you, that's a, that's a tough one for me. Don't, don't worry about your life, the challenges that you face, the internal struggles that you wrestle with, the hard relationships that you have. Don't worry about what you eat or drink. So does this mean we're not supposed to worry about the, the food we eat and, and what the drink will do to our bodies? Because I can get on board with that idea, you know? I don't think that's what he's saying here. I think the concept presented here has more to do with worrying about where our next meal is going to come from, which for many of us is not a concern that we have. And this concept can get lost on us. But there may be other areas of life where we question if we can depend on God to provide. The root of this verse is that we all have basic needs. Food, clothing, shelter, and Jesus is reminding us that our God is a God of provision. He'll give us everything we need. He doesn't want us to spend any mental horsepower worrying about these things. This may be a challenge for us because what God provides might not be the food, clothing, or shelter that we want. Can you live in the sufficiency that he provides, no matter what that is? Let's look at these next two verses. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you worry by worrying at a single hour to your life? If God has set his created order in such a way that every need of a bird is taken care of, how much more does he care about you? The created order testifies to God's eternal power in divine nature. It testifies equally to his providence. Now, this doesn't mean we shouldn't work. It doesn't speak to carelessness, apathy, indifference, self-indulgence, laziness. I mean, birds aren't just flying around with worms falling out of the sky into their beaks, right? No, they got to they gotta go down and get it. Do a little bit of digging. Get dirty. And as the adage goes, they have to get up early. You'll get that about lunchtime. <laughs> it does mean here that we shouldn't fret. We rest in his presence. We trust in his provision. We seek after his desires, his word, his promises. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? You of little faith. In this verse, Jesus equates worry with a lack of faith. See, when our hope shifts off of God into the world, we start to fear. And far too often, fear leads to despair despair is the opposite of hope 
Despair is a sign that we've given up on God. He can't help us. No one can. When we as believers engage in despair, we cripple the message of hope. We need to get our eyes up toward heaven, focusing on the eternal and not the temporary. As followers of Jesus, we have the one and only message that can bring hope to the world, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus' reminder in this verse is that we have no reason to be without hope. If God cares enough to put detail into the flowers of the fields that bring joy and beauty to the creation of the world, how much more does he care about you, his child? You have a heavenly father that loves you. So don't worry. Saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. So do not worry. Worry is what people who don't have the hope of Jesus do. If you're going to claim to be a follower of Jesus, you must have a life that is qualitatively different from people who have no trust in God's care and no goals beyond material things. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. These things. Peace. Love. Comfort. Provision. To seek first the kingdom is to desire above all to enter into, submit to, and participate in spreading the news of the saving grace of God, and to live in a way that has eyes set on storing up treasures in heaven, knowing that what we believe is right and it is true. It's to pursue the things that we pray for in the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. This is something worthy of our whole heart's allegiance. For any other concern to dominate our mind makes us no different in the world so are we self-centered or are we god-centered are we ambitious for ourselves or are we ambitious for god jesus ends this section with therefore do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself each day has enough trouble of its own in a way it kind of seems like jesus is recognizing the high bar that he's setting here never worry about anything at any time, ever. <laughs> might not be super attainable. Uh, he might be softening a little bit by saying, you know what? Don't worry about tomorrow. God's already there. He's got that. Every day has enough trouble of its own. Take it one day at a time. He gives grace day by day. And his grace is sufficient for you. So how do we do this? What prevents us from seeking his kingdom first? Um, as I was preparing for this sermon this week, I was also doing some prep for a class, and uh, I was reading the book Making All Things New by Henry Nouwen. Uh, it's a great book, highly recommend. Um, a few things I read in there I think might be able to help us today. See, we have to be able to acknowledge a couple of things. Uh, one, we, we have filled lives. We live filled lives 
And at the same time, we can live very unfulfilled lives. Our lives are filled with lots of things. Uh, Work, phone calls, emails, hobbies, uh, family, errands, kids' activities. Uh, Have you been distracted by something just sitting in this room today? You know, there's always something that's going on calling our attention. There's no doubt that there's a great combination of things that we have to do, things that we want to do. There's also the things that we think we have to do that we do. My wife is really good at helping me see the things that I think I have to do, but I really don't have to do them. We want to make sure that we're working hard to provide for our families, provide enough so our kids can have all the opportunities that they want or maybe we want them to have. These are good things. There's nothing inherently wrong with any of this. Our lives are filled with a lot. But just because our life is full does not mean that we're filled with the joy of the Lord. The unfulfilled life. While we're doing all the things that we're doing, we wonder if the grass is greener somewhere else. Am I being used to my full potential? Could I be making a greater impact if I was doing something different? While our minds and hearts are filled with lots of things, we can have a deep sense of unfulfillment, and it can manifest it manifests itself in a few different ways boredom resentment and depression with boredom have you ever been so busy you got so much that you have to do that you just don't want to do any of it like you just hit the point where you're like i'm gonna check out Uh, maybe you jump on facebook for a while you read a book you read the paper you watch tv and the entire time you're doing that you're like i'm gonna regret this later because i know (laughs) I really should be doing the things that I'm supposed to be doing right now. Uh, It's when nothing looks appealing. You wonder how the work you're doing makes any difference whatsoever in the long run. It's that feeling of running on a treadmill. Like, there's a lot of work going into this. But at the end, I'm, I'm at the same exact spot from where I started. Here's a side note, not in my notes here. This will be fun. Horse racing. Think about a horse. There's a jockey on its back who's obviously in a very big hurry to get somewhere. Like, he's beating on him, and they're all running, and and they get to the end of the race, and they're back at the start line. Like, is that horse going, that was the longest possible route we could have taken to get to where you wanted to go. Like, if we would have just stayed here, we would have won. be a lot for a horse to think i don't know (laughs) boredom can lead to resentment we feel used we feel taken advantage of maybe a little manipulated we start to see ourselves as victims being pushed around inner anger begins to form so even though we have lots to do we have a job that provides for us we don't feel valued we get offended we resent the life that we have and then there's depression That place where we begin to feel that not only does our presence make very little difference, but maybe our absence is preferred. This isn't necessarily tied to one specific thing that happens, but it's an overall feeling of lostness that comes. The filled life, lots of things to do, lots of options, 
the unfulfilled life, in the midst of all those things, boredom, resentment, depression. How do we make a change? How do we avoid living as people without hope that may be trending toward despair? See, Jesus didn't tell us that we had to stop being busy with the things that we do every day. Jesus was very busy. He was constantly teaching and working and preaching and leading people. He had a lot that he was responsible for. How was he able to do it all? See, it's not about stepping away from all of our responsibilities. I mean, that's what we want to do sometimes. We just want to step away from it all. Because if I can walk away from it, everything's going to be better. He just asks us to shift our focus. Shift our focus off of the many things to the one thing. He asks for a change of heart. A change of heart that makes everything different, even though really everything appears to be the same. So what is that one thing? What is the center? What was it for Jesus? It was the kingdom. It was the kingdom of his heavenly father, unending obedience to anything that God asked him to do. A life that invites the spirit into everything that we are. Everything that we're dealing with. Everything that we're going through and viewing people and situations with his eyes. That's one that's seeking first his kingdom. The center of Jesus' life was an obedient relationship with his heavenly father. Would your life be any different if you were 100% obedient to the way that Scripture called you to live? That's impossible. I mean, no one, no one can do that. Maybe. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't try. In fact, I say we just see how close we can get. What would happen if an entire church decided that we're going to make it our collective goal to live as close to Jesus and as close to Scripture as we possibly can? Will we do it perfectly? Probably not. Will we get a lot closer by trying? Absolutely. He became like us so we could become like him. He modeled obedience to the Father. Let's try that with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength. To live a spiritual life doesn't mean we walk away from our jobs, our families, our friends, our hobbies, our activities. Now, it could be that as we draw closer to the life that Jesus has called us to live, that we need to reorganize some priorities. There might be some things that we decide to walk away from because of that. But we realize that the spiritual life can be lived out in as many different ways as there are people. Instead of viewing all of the things we have to do from our human perspective, we start to view them as ways that God can make his presence known to us. It's a change of heart. So how do we get there? How do we seek him first? So there's two things that I want you to try this week. These aren't new. They're not revolutionary, but for whatever reason, sometimes we just need these gentle reminders. One of our interim church behaviors is prayer. The first thing I want you to do is to practice prayerful solitude on a daily basis. 
prayerful solitude on a daily basis. And all the moms in the room are like, yeah, good luck with that. Can't even go to the bathroom without somebody pounding on the door, right? And I get it, I get it. But, but the kids go to bed eventually, right? In those first five minutes that you spend once everything quiets down, that really can set, set the pace for the rest of your evening. Uh, maybe you're an early morning person. Maybe you're awake before the kids wake up. I personally believe that if I wake up before the sun has risen, that I have beaten God out of bed. <laughs> which I don't feel is right. And I stay in bed. But maybe, maybe you're different. Early in, the mo- early in the morning, later in the evening, set aside some time and start small. Don't, you don't have to say, I'm going to spend two hours every day in solitude. Probably not realistic. Set realistic, attainable goals. Start with five minutes. I'm going fi- to spend five minutes. I'm going to find five minutes in my day that I can spend in quiet solitude. Go to a different room in the house to be alone. Maybe you have to go into a closet. Maybe you have to go into the bathroom. I don't know. But identify this as intentional time that's been set aside as a spiritual discipline. It doesn't have to be structured. It could be that you like some quiet music. It could be that you want to read some scripture. Maybe you just want to close your eyes and not do anything. Maybe you want to go for a walk and experience God in nature. Perhaps art speaks to you. Whatever it is, find that, find that thing. Spend some time in solitude. Embrace the chaos of the quiet. That might sound counterintuitive, but it's, it's hard to quiet down completely, to turn everything else off. Sometimes we don't like to do that because we're afraid of what's going to come. We're afraid of what we're going to have to address, the kinds of thoughts that are going to come to our mind. That's the purpose of solitude. If you start to have thoughts that come to your mind that make you anxious, seek first his kingdom. This is your opportunity to ask God to help you with those things. Maybe when you're in that moment of solitude, you start to have wonderful thoughts of all the ways that God is helping you, all the ways that God is blessing you. Then you can spend some time thanking him for that, to to be thankful for a heavenly father that loves you and is revealing himself to you. So try to practice solitude every day this week. And then the second is spending time in community. Faith, as Paul says, comes from hearing. It helps to hear the word from each other. It helps to hear testimony from each other, hearing from different viewpoints and backgrounds can help us to know that we're all in this together. Practice intentional time spent in community. Listen for the collective voice of the Holy Spirit. Some places that happens, here on Sunday morning. In fact, plan not to miss a Sunday morning over these next five, five months. When somebody says, hey, can you, can you go and do this thing on this day? No, I already have something. Like, sometimes I'll ask somebody, can you, hey, can you help me with this? No, I've already got something planned. Make this the thing that you've planned, okay? Coming to church is what you've planned on doing. 
Make this a priority, because if you miss a Sunday, you will miss something. You'll be better for it every time you come here. So come here on Sunday morning. Other places, prayer gatherings on Wednesday nights. I already talked about 8.30 on Sunday mornings here in the sanctuary. Um, Come and practice intentional community. Join a small group. If you're not in a small group already, make sure that you join one of those so you can have an intentional time to gather with some other believers. So let's wrap this up. Make a decision today to spend intentional time with God every single day this week. If you're married, ask yourself how you can empower your spouse to spend intentional time with God. When you start to feel anxious, when you start to feel worried, shift your focus. Intentionally seek a change of heart. Seek his kingdom. Choose obedience. Practice life and community. Love each other. Just don't shake hands or hug (laughs) or greet each other with a holy kiss. And focus on the one thing, seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Do that and everything else will be given to you as well. There's no better response I can think of than to participate in the sacrament of communion. It's not going to be the way I described. (laughs) Jesus showed his full obedience to the will of God by living a holy and perfect life. He took the weight of our sins on him. He was crucified on a cross. He died. He was buried. And then he was resurrected to new life. He brought brought us unity with his Father so that we might know him, have peace with him, and be able to live in peace with one another. Um, In the Church of the Nazarene, we, we practice what's known as open communion, meaning you don't have to be a member of this local church in order to participate. So as the trays are passed today, there's, there's two cups in there. Make sure you grab both of them. One has the bread, one has the juice. And, uh, and I want you to hold on to them. We're going we're gonna to take those two things together. While you're holding on to that, and ushers, you can go ahead and come forward. While you're holding on to that, I want you to reflect on what it means in your life today to seek first the kingdom of God. To seek first his righteousness. What it means to find peace in your life. To find love, comfort, to recognize provision. To know that you have a God that loves you. Someone here today needs to know that they are loved. So as you take these elements today, hold on to them. Reflect. Pray. Listen to the words of this song that we would have one pure and holy passion to seek and follow hard after him.
the body of our Lord Jesus Christ that was broken for you. Every time you eat this, remember him. Let's take and eat together. The blood of our Lord Jesus Christ that was shed for the forgiveness of your sins. Every time you drink this, remember. Let's take and drink together.